going to be, uh, we can be turning a church Bible to page 1391. 1391 will be 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Now, real quick, I've got some on the prayer list we need to remember this week. Abigail is not here. With, Rebecca's with her at home. She's got a sore throat. We pray that stays a minor and that she's feeling better quickly. Also, keep Rick and Amanda um, Copeland and Kylie, their uh, expected child. Uh, right now, there's some issues coming up with little Kylie. And uh, so they're going to see doctors about that right now. So we'll just pray that God be God in that situation. And he continue to work. And uh, his healing hand would be there physically and spiritually uh, for little Kylie. And uh, we also bless the Lord. Wow, if you haven't noticed, he has allowed a change in our weather cycle. Amen. Thank you for the cooler weather and uh, all that. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Sorry to hear that. Joe's dad's um, still on hospice. Oxygen levels are dropping. So pray for the family. Uh, Lord, as that progresses, uh, let's pray that God be in the middle of all that and his strength hold everybody up. So, all right, let's read our scripture today. First <clears throat> Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, that no matter what's going on around us and no matter what trials come along, that you and your word will remain forever, forever and ever, even beyond our understanding what that can mean, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this day that we can come together and we can honor you, we can praise you, and Lord, we can be hungry to hear a word from you today pray you would uh, deliver that word, that you would open our hearts and our eyes so that we could see, Lord, what you're bringing us today. And we pray you cover, you cover everything that goes on uh, in your house this morning. Bless you for these recent rains, Lord Jesus, and uh, the cooler weather. Uh, even through all these difficult times, you've been there all along. And uh, we pray for these prayer requests today. Pray for little Abigail. Bless her with uh, good health. And Lord, I just pray that you will be with Rick and Amanda and little Kylie, Lord Jesus. Uh, our prayer is that your name be lifted high and all that, and that, Lord, that you would deliver healing for that family. In your holy name, Jesus. And, and once again, your name be lifted up uh, because of your goodness. So uh, we also pray for Joe's family, his dad and mom. And, Lord, we just pray in this difficult time that, that you would just give the family peace um, and just give them uh, all they need. Lord Jesus, because you are all we need. And that they will lean on you in your spirit. And that once again, your word will be their foundation. So they can, Lord, always trust in you and what your word declares. We bless you, Lord, as we uh, go through this day. Help us, Lord, to live a way uh, that would bring glory to you and to always be looking for what you're calling us to be a part of. We thank you today for your mighty name, Jesus, and that no matter 
flood changes in our world. Lord, you are still Lord of Lords and King of Kings. All glory to you, we pray. Amen.
Thirsty soul. 
our generation we are your people crying out in desperation
I'm excited about this message today and, um, and what God might say. Um, I've been studying, but oftentimes, as it is, when I come, I hear, as I teach, what it is God is wanting to show us. And so I, I am excited about this place. It's funny, over the years, I would tell you, and, and even Abigail would tell you if you ask her what Granny's favorite book in the Bible is, she would say Leviticus, and that would be true. And uh, she's heard me say that many times, and so she's kind of come to know that. So Leviticus is my favorite scripture, I mean, my favorite book in the Bible. And I love that because it's the book where God speaks most often. You, you have God's very direct words more in Leviticus than any other book in the Bible. But this chapter that we're going to study today is probably my favorite chapter in the book. So it's John chapter 17. We're going to be on page 1245. And as I was studying this, I, I could see so clearly that there's hard, it's hard to add anything to the powerful words that Jesus is saying. So I, I, I want you to hear that. Um, so clearly. I was humbled as I was reading this through the week and, and studying in these words with Jesus. These are the words in, that are the very last words that he will share with his disciples. This is it. From this place, everything begins to change. He goes to the garden. He's arrested. He is on trial, and he is crucified. So the hour has come that he's been preparing this band of disciples for for the last three years. And over the last few hours, we sometimes fail to realize that they are still on the night of Passover. But Jesus has been telling them a lot of the things that over these hours that we've been studying over the last few weeks, he's been saying in one night. And this is the conclusion of that. And one of the things I love about this is it is such an intimate place. that I feel like we walk into such an intimate place between Jesus and the Father and his disciples. I almost could see that Jesus has gathered up his disciples I can just see them. They're all sitting very close to him. They're all standing around him, however it might be. They're right here at his fingertips. And in this prayer that he prays, he opens up the heavens and allows them to drink. It's a very touching place. 
and I pray for God's strength to share with you some of the things that he's shown me. But I most of all want you to grab hold of this place that Jesus has for us today. Because I believe it is just the same with us, that he is offering an opportunity for us to walk into mm, the intimacy that he has with the Father. So if you'll join me in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, one of the things right there I love about that, you know, we come to a place of prayer and what do we all do? We do what we've been taught. We all bow our heads, oftentimes hold our hands. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I don't. Because I understand even some great things in that. When I bow my head and close my eyes, I'm really just saying I'm shutting out the world. I just want to be with you. And I see that. But I see this picture of Jesus coming and lifting up his hands. And I thought about us singing. And I thought, yes, this is how I feel when we sing. I want to lift up my hands. And lift up my hands in a way that almost says, Lord, grab hold of my hands. Draw me into you. Allow me to be in your presence. And I see this place as Jesus is lifting up his hands in this oneness to the Father. And you're going to see that as he prays this prayer. But that's what it speaks to me, is it speaks to me of the oneness between Jesus and the Father. And I want us to grab hold of the things that he says in that, in that regard and see if it has something for us. <clears throat> All right, so lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Glorify your son. That, the, that your son may glorify you. This word glorify is a word that we don't really quite understand to the fullness, I would say. It means to honor. It means to exalt. But I also think it means something that I just felt like the Lord had showed me. And that is that this place of glorifying is this place of oneness. Oneness with the Father in his will. So what Jesus is saying here, glorify your son. Fulfill your will. Exalt who you are. 
exalt who the Son is. You see, we see this place, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. It is that picture of oneness, isn't it? But I also felt like the Lord showed me that this place of glorifying is an understanding of clarifying who they are, who the Son is, who the Father is. Jesus' whole life would glorify the Father. And throughout Jesus' whole life, the Father glorified the Son. In this place of clarifying, I could understand that Jesus made clear who the Father is, and the Father made clear who the Son is. So I believe in this place of, of glorify, we understand this visual understanding that Jesus has opened up to the disciples of who the Father is. And I think we'll see that as he continues with his prayer to the Father. But I think we also will see that God, the Father is glorifying and making clear who the Son is. Verse 2 says, or, well, let's read this together. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So he's saying, as the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh. In this place of all flesh, what he is doing is he's bringing everybody together in the body of humanity, in mankind. He's saying, you will have authority. He's given Jesus authority over all, all flesh, over everyone. But then he goes on to say that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. But the ones that would receive eternal life are those that it says the Father has given to Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that no one comes lest the Father has called them. Sometimes this scripture is misunderstood and is taught in a way of predestination. That in this place, the Father is determining who would be saved, and he is giving those to Jesus. 
That is not what's going on here. It doesn't align with the Bible in the rest of the scriptures. We all have an opportunity to be drawn in to see who Jesus is and an opportunity to make that choice. It is, you are not a puppet. But in this place, rather, the Father knows before the foundation of the earth how it will unfold and who will choose him. And those he's given to Jesus. It's his all-knowing authority and power and wisdom that he knows he knows how it will be. But he gives everyone the opportunity. That messes with our mind a little bit, doesn't it? But it is how the Bible explains these places, and we have to be very careful to not see that God is just picking and choosing who will be saved. Everyone is saved. I mean, everyone has the opportunity to be saved. Not everyone will be saved. But I want to grab hold of a couple of places here on understanding this all, all flesh. So look with me. Keep your marker here. We'll come back shortly. Look with me to Luke 3. It's on page 1181. This is where John the Baptist is baptizing, and um, it is written here, and verse, starting in verse 4, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Mankind will have the opportunity to see the salvation of God, to see who Jesus is, to see the great I am through Jesus. Another place talks about all flesh. Look at page 1253, and it's Acts 2, page 1253. Peter is speaking here, starting in verse 17. And it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone has an opportunity. So turning back now to John 17, we see this place where it says in verse 2 that as you have given him authority. So Jesus has authority 
over all the world. Turn with me to Matthew 28, and I'm just going to give you a page number on that. Matthew 28, page 1150. In verse 18, and Jesus speaks and says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority, all power over the collective world. He has power and he has authority. However, he doesn't use that power to make you choose. He doesn't use that authority to make you choose him and him alone. He doesn't puppeteer the world. But rather, this is helping us to understand he has the authority over the whole world. After all, he created everything, right? That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So he should give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. But then I want us to read on in verse 3. It says, and this eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, the authority that he's giving and that he has here is to give eternal life. So, he doesn't make everyone choose to follow him in the flesh, all mankind, but rather he has the authority to give eternal life to all who would choose him. So he's explaining this a little bit in verse 3, and this is eternal life. This word eternal means life unending. I meant to ask Daniel about this, if this was a similar word to the Hebrew word of olam. And this place of life without end, that's beyond time, that's eternal. But then this place of life is this word that we've seen many times that means uh, a zoe, and it means physical and spiritual. So Jesus has the authority to give life unending to the physical and spiritual world. In other words, that unending life is what it's saying begins in the physical and continues in the spiritual. 
So this is eternal life, that Jesus, it says, that he should give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. And this is eternal life. And I want you to understand he comes and explains this unending time a little deeper. He says that they, those who choose Jesus to be followers of Jesus, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he says, this is eternal life. And then he, he's saying, and you know what I'm saying here, because you know about this word olam. And you know about this life that begins here and now, and it goes on into the spiritual life. And, and, but it has one purpose. And that purpose is that you may know, that they may know you. The Father, the only true God. I love that understanding, the only true God. The only true God. This word no is a word that we've talked about before, but I love the understanding that Jesus is is using it right here because it's a very intimate word. In fact, it's this word that, um, let's just look at this. Back in Luke 1, leave your marker here and go to Luke 1, page 1178. Luke 1, verse 34. So the angel has come and has told Mary that she is going to carry a son and give birth to Jesus. And she is telling him that she would bring forth this son and that his name would be Jesus. And then in verse 34, it says, Then Mary says to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? This place of knowing in this this very intimate place, this very sexual place, but the place that where a man and a woman become in oneness, Do you understand that? This is the kind of intimacy this is talking about. It's about when a man and a woman become married and then have they consummate that marriage and have a sexual relationship that is going to bring forth a child. And Mary is saying, how can this be? I haven't had that intimate place. That brings two people into oneness. 
And I believe Jesus is using this in this way to help us to say, to see this, that they, that you, this eternal life means that you would be drawn into this oneness with the one true God and Jesus the Messiah. What I want you to hear from this is I believe that he said, and this is eternal life, because I think he is saying to us that in the physical life here on earth, you will begin to draw into that oneness while you're here on earth. But it will also move into this never-ending spiritual life of where you will continue to draw into oneness forever. Do you see how big that is? To draw into oneness with who the Father is and who Jesus the Messiah is. In other words, he's saying you would be drawing into this intimate place the Father, and with the Son. That's why I was in tears when I came up here and said, this is my favorite chapter. Because Jesus is wanting the disciples to know this. That what he is bringing is so much bigger than what we realize when we say, yes, I am saved. Check. Jesus is saying, you would need to grab hold of what this eternal life is, and it will begin here and now on this earth. And it will go beyond time. And you will be drawing in to the one true God and who Jesus is in an intimate way. That's that's what's available. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on earth, on the earth. So he's telling the Father as he's praying, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus is saying here, That he's finished the things that, that God has for him to do. And in those things, they have brought glory to who the Father is. They've clarified. Do you hear what I'm saying? They have honored. They have exalted. But they have clarified. They have illuminated, if you will, who the Father is. These works. His teachings. His miracles. His compassion, his forgiveness, his mercy, 
his example of who he is is the work that the Father had given for him to do. And he says, I've glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. All of these things are glorifying the Father because they are enlarging our understanding of who the Father is. You see, Moses, if you remember, back when Moses was on the mountain and the bush was burning and he went over to see, but he couldn't see God in the bush. He could only see the fire. And then later he says, I want to see you. And, and God says, you can't see me. You would die. Let me put you in the, in the rock and, and cover you. And, and you'll be able to see when I pass by, you'll see the glory. Just a, a glimpse of who I am. And Jesus is saying, I came and I glorified you by being the very essence of who God is on this world, that each of us might have an opportunity to see God, the one true God. You see, he's not saying, I did my works. He's, he's done the works that the Father has sent him to do because they're in oneness. So it's not that Jesus, sometimes we have that picture of God of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament. No, Jesus is doing nothing on his own, only what the Father does, only what God does because they are in oneness. Verse 5 says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is saying, glorify me together with you because we're in oneness. And glorify me with you in this place before the world even was. When, I, when they were in oneness together in the heavenlies, before Jesus came, he was in this place of glory, exalted oneness with the Father. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of the world they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I love this. I have manifested your name. You know, I, 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 God taught me this, I don't know, 18 years ago. He began to teach me about this place of the name. And I remember exactly where it was. In fact, we'll just look at that. So leave your marker here and go back to that Matthew uh, 28. Matthew 28, uh, and it's on page 1150. 
Matthew 28, page 1150. The name. And it says right here in Matthew 28, verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and many people believe that this is how you should baptize people when we're doing water baptism, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And, and whereas I don't think that makes God mad, I don't think that's what he's talking about either here. But he's talking about immersing the disciples that, that would follow these disciples, the new believers, immersing them in the character. That's what the name means. In the essence of who the Father is, of who the Son is, and of who the Holy Spirit is. Immerse these new believers in who the one true God is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So this name is this place of understanding the very character of the Father, the very essence of who he is. So when we see this back in John 17, and he says, I have manifested your name, what he is saying is, I've manifested, I've made known, I have uh, made visible to mankind the very character of who you are, the very essence of who you are, the fullness of who you are that they could handle at this point, I've made known to them. I've manifested, I've made visible to mankind, to all flesh, this place of who you are, your name. It says, to all men whom you've given me out of the world. To those who would receive him, who would accept him for who he is, who would surrender their lives because they do accept him, because they do receive him, they would begin to see the fullness of who God is. Um, there's a scripture. Let me look and see if I can find that back over just a few. We Maybe, maybe, maybe in John 8. Um, maybe, let me look right here. It comes to my mind. Lord, I ask for you to help us to see that scripture. Where Philip is talking to Jesus, and we taught on it in the last few weeks. Let me see if I see that. And Philip says... 
you know, uh, how, show us the Father. And, um, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you remember that scripture? Mm-hmm. And um, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> so it's right back. It's only a couple of pages back. It's on chapter, uh, it's John 14, page 1242. And verse 7, so it's only one or two pages back from where we are. It says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and let you've not, yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe in me for the sake of the works themselves. He's saying, when you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I've manifested the Father. I've made visible to you who the Father is. So verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to men whom you've given me out of the world. Again, this is that place when the Father, he knows who is going to truly follow Jesus. He knows. He knows. And he says, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now, I, I um, like to underline things, but this word kept, I even got the highlighter out, and I highlighted it because I see this place of Jesus saying, those that you've given me will keep your word. They won't just have this hmm, casual place of saying I'm a follower of Jesus there may be a lot of people out there that have this very casual place and say well my Jesus and he's good with me where I am and and I don't have to worry about all these commandments and I don't have to do this and that Jesus says those that you've given to me he said those you've given to me they have kept your word They've kept your truth. They've kept your laws. They've kept your ways. Verse 7 says, Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. And, the, and what he's saying right here, I have loved, is that as they've kept your word, as they've began to draw into who I am, they have known that all things which you've given me are from you. They have seen that, that everything that the Father is doing, Jesus surrendered to do that, and that all things came from the Father. Verse 8 says, For I have given them 
For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and that you have be- and that they have believed that you sent me. So he's helping us to understand what verse 7 says. He says, for I have given to them the words which you've given, and they have received them. Now that is another place that I highlighted with my, my orange highlighter because I see this place that not only did they come to just believe who Jesus was, but they kept the words. And they saw that these words were given from the Father. They saw how the Old Testament was playing out in the things that Jesus was teaching and the things that he was living out. And they received them. So I was thinking about this place because oftentimes, and, and I know our words get so jumbled up sometimes, but we talk about this place of have you received Jesus in your heart? And I thought, yeah, I wonder what that means to us. But I saw that what it should mean is this right here, that you have received his very truth. You have received the words that were given to him and that you're keeping those words and you've received that they've come from the Father and that whatever Jesus' truths are, are the Father's truths. They're in oneness. So this place of saying, I've asked Jesus into my heart, doesn't have any understanding in it. We don't even know what that means. I've thought about that for years. I thought, what does that mean to somebody? But Jesus is telling us, it means that you've received who he is. But beyond that, it means that you've received it. For I have given to them the words which you've given me, and they've received them. You see, that you would receive the words of the Father. And then it says, and have, and have known surely that I came forth from you and that they have believed that you sent me. You see, I see that that all goes together. When they begin to believe that you sent me and that you believe in Jesus and that you sent Jesus and that you are the one sending these words, it all comes together into that oneness. All that God is, all that Jesus manifested, his ways, his teachings, all came from the Father. You cannot divide them out. I am so afraid that in this day and time, we have many congregations that claim to be a New Testament church. And the reason they can't claim to be a New Testament church is they have done away with the Old Testament understandings. That is not the teachings Jesus is talking about here. You cannot be a New Testament church without continuing to be an Old Testament believer. You have to combine them. They don't divide out. Jesus and the Father are one. Let's read on here. He said in verse 9, I pray for them. I love this. Now, you know what? It doesn't say, mm, 
Let me go on and read this, and then we'll talk about this. It says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I love that place. Those who have surrendered their lives, who have kept his word, who have received all that he's manifested, all that he is, he prays for you. Now, I think we would dare not make that simplistic and say he makes everything we want his prayer. But what he prays is what we need and what his will is for our lives. But I thought that was so powerful. He goes on in verse 10, and he says, And all are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And all of mine are yours, and all of yours are mine, and I'm glorified. I'm made visible. I'm manifested. I'm exalted. That's what Jesus is saying in them. You see, he's saying in our life, if we've come to this place where we keep his word and we receive the fullness of who the Father and the Son are, our lives will reflect him in such a way that Jesus will be glorified in each life. Such a high calling. Rather than just saying, are you a Christian? Oh, I just wanted to say, Lord, be glorified in my life. Humble me to walk in such a way that you would be glorified. That someone wouldn't have to say, are you a Christian? Because that becomes a title about me. But that my life might reflect his words and his truth and that he would be exalted and honored and made visible. Verse 11 says, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I've come to you, Holy Father. Keep them. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they might be one as we are one. You see this oneness is what Jesus is talking about through the whole thing with the Father, that he's in this place of oneness. They're not separated. Whatever is his is Jesus. Whatever is the Father's is the Son's, and whatever is the Son's is the Father, and they're in oneness. The whole thing is about oneness. And then he says, <clears throat> Now I no longer 
I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. So, Lord, they're going to have to be. You know, he goes on to say later that I don't pray for you to take them out of the world. They're going to be in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. So he comes to the Father, and he's praying, and he says, Keep through your name the character of who you are, the power of who you are. Keep them, that they may be one as we are. It really, that word are is not there in the, in the Greek. It's really keep them, that they, they may be one as we. Now, I'm sad to say that I have heard this taught many, 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 many times. That this is a call for the church to be unified and to be one with each other. This is not what Jesus is saying. If you are unified with the Father and with the Son, you will be unified with each other. It will just happen. But the call begins in this eternal life that begins here and now and will extend beyond time of learning to walk, of growing, of receiving, of keeping the words that would help us to understand who the Father and the Son are and what their name represents and that we might be in that intimate, intimate relationship with them. That is what the bride should be. And one day her husband will come home to consummate that marriage. It's a powerful, powerful chapter. Let's read a little bit further. We probably won't get through all of it today. Verse 12 says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Filled up, that my joy, he's saying, Let's read that again. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. So in other words, he's saying they're going to be in this world. They're not going to be taken out of this world. But I come to you that they may have my joy filled up in them, fulfilled in themselves. What he's saying is when you're in this oneness with me, 
even though you're in the world, there will be such joy in you because you're in oneness with Jesus. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world will be against God's word. Be very aware of that. When you talk to people who claim to be followers of Jesus and do not respect his word. Verse 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. Oh, man, I I thought about this place, and I thought, man, that would be our first prayer, and it is our prayer. Because every difficult situation we're in, in this world, what do we pray? Take us out of this. Lord, fix this situation. Lord, this is difficult. Make this how I want it. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I believe the Lord is showing me to keep them from aligning with the enemy, from the place of temptation, that God would continue to awaken your spirit, that you would have wisdom against the evil one. I don't believe that what Jesus is praying here is that the enemy will never have any place in your life. He ties this right into the world and what he is saying to the disciples and he's saying the world, the enemy will use the world to try to draw you, tempt you into his darkness. And I'm not going to pray that the Father would take you out of the world. But I am going to pray that in this place, you would not be overtaken by the enemy. That's the heart of Jesus. Do I believe that you have a choice there or that God would just shield you from the enemy from here forward? No. I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that just as he told Peter, you're going to be sifted. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. So I believe that Jesus is saying, these places are here, and the enemy is going to try to use them in the world to draw you into his ways and out of my word and out of my truth. And you will have to be watching for those places. You see, everything he's praying here, he is praying for one reason. He's not praying, as he did most of the time, quietly to the Lord somewhere that no one was able to write it down. Most of Jesus' prayers were not written down. No, he's praying this right here with 
the disciples. Because it's not that he's telling the Father these things that the Father didn't know. And the Father was like, oh, I'm so glad you prayed about that. I didn't know we were going to, you know. That's not what's happening. He's teaching the disciples here everything they should know. In this place, a very intimate place with the disciples where he has just got them all together. He's saying, these are the last things I want to say to you. You've got to be in oneness with us. With the Father and with the Son. And if you are, then you're going to be in the world. And the enemy's going to be there. But you're going to have choice to not join up with the temptation. To not be led away in the darkness. This, this place, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Do you see that? But that you should keep them from the evil one. This word keep is an interesting word because we've talked about it. It's this place of guarding, protecting. But it is not a place of totally shielding you from the enemy. He will guard you. He will protect you. He will give you his word when you are in battle against the enemy. And if you have kept his word, then he will keep you here. Through his power, he will bring those words to your mind. He will speak to you and he will say the enemy is entrapping you right here. Don't go down this path. And he will give you a scripture. That's what I believe this word keeping means. Verse 16 says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Do you see how he draws that back in there? Sanctify them. That's how he's going to keep you from the enemy. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He will bring your word, his word to you in your, in your darkest times when the enemy is after you. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You see, God uses us just as Jesus was sent into the world. He's sending the disciples He's sending you. And for their sake, I sanctify, and for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray that these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's you and me. I do not pray for just the disciples that are here right before me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their word, through the word of John, through the word of Mark, through the word of Paul. Paul. 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, if there is any place to highlight in your Bible, to underline, put some stars around, that is it. Because I believe he is bringing all these understandings that we've talked about right here together. And he, so he says, I do not pray, look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So that's us. And what is he going to, what's he want us to hear? That they, that's us, all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. It is not talking about being in oneness with each other. He's talking about being one in him and in the, in the Father and in the Son. In this intimate place. And it goes on to say that they may be one in us. Right? That the world may believe that you sent me. So the whole reason for oneness is that we might be the light to the world that people might see Jesus and the Father in oneness through you because you are in oneness in alignment with the Father and the Son. This, all the time I talk about you're not in alignment, you are in alignment one way or the other. I talk about alignment with the Father and alignment with Jesus. This is what this is talking about. It's talking about being in this place where you keep his word and that you receive him fully, all of his truths, all of his teachings, all of his ways. You have nothing. You have given up everything to become in oneness with him. That means in alignment with him, in agreement with him, completely sold out to him for one reason, that the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. He's using you. These last few verses say, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And the glory which you gave me I've given to them. What did we say this glory was? Exalting. Jesus glorified the Father. He exalted the Father. He honored the Father. But he also, I said, the word that God gave me is he clarified. Remember? He made visible who the Father was. That's what Jesus did. And in this reverse of that, the Father glorified the Son. He exalted. He honored. And he clarified. He made visible who the Son was. So when he says right here, he says, And the glory which you gave me, I've given them. The opportunity to 
be visible in a place that honors God, exalts God, and makes visible who he is, that he's given to them that they may be one just as we are one. So he is not saying, I'm glorifying you, mankind. He's saying, I'm giving you the the opportunity to be able to glorify in the same way I glorified the Father. You're going to be able to glorify the Father. You're going to be able to glorify the Son. He's passing on the mission, the purpose, so that the world may see. And verse 23 says, And I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect, complete, in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And I have declared to them your name. And will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This oneness will all culminate not in keeping his word out of law, but out of love. And as I said earlier, I believe that as we love him and walk in oneness with him, the church will be drawn to oneness and united together. But it has to start with these verses. So I pray that these words have been as powerful to you as they have been to me for many years and I, I pray that you'll go back and study these words that you'll ask God to open this up the fullness of it I pray that it will become your favorite chapter and the reason it's my favorite chapter is I see that Jesus invites us into this very intimate place between him and the father and he offers us the opportunity to join him there I believe it begins here and now and lasts for eternal life Will you join me as we praise him?
I did. 